you can tell a story and not capture the audience's attention, right? You can, you can tell them a story and not capture their interest and not teach a lesson. So how can we take advantage of a story to capture the audience's attention and to teach valuable lessons? The first thing I want to talk about is economy. When you select a story, you want it to have economy. That means for everything you put the audience through and everything you make them listen to you, because it's a monologue, okay, which is rather boring, right? It's a monologue. So is it worth what you're putting the audience through? So is there uh, interest to the story? Is it concise enough not to waste their time? Here's a, an example of a story that has a lot of economy. This one was ta uh, told to me by Russians. They said during the, the Soviet times, some Christians were being lined up to be shot. And I don't know if it was the stress of the circumstance or a vision from God or what. But when the guard, one of the guards looked up, he saw the people that were going to be shot had crowns on their head. And they offered to the people, they said, okay, you know, are any of you willing to give up your faith? And one of them said that he was. And the guard saw the crown coming off his head. Now, as the story goes, I understand that the guard ended up dying that day. I, I don't have a lot of details of that story, but that story has a lot of economy. It's short, it's concise, right? And yet it, it could teach a powerful lesson. Are you willing to be faithful to God to the end? All right, so another word I want to throw out to you is universality. So, can people relate to what happens in the story? That will help to draw them in, right? Or with you about this. When I was in Belize again, one day the Seventh-day Adventists came to me and they said, you know what, down the street we're going to have this big, big program. It's going to be a health thing. And we want to give a presentation to your school and invite them to come. So, you know, I, foolishly, I'm like, well, okay, sure. So we went upstairs and we had a meeting. And while we were up there, they asked them, the students, a question, a very simple question. They said, what is the purpose of life? You know, why are you here? And the students couldn't answer it. <laughs> I started thinking to myself, why am I here in Belize teaching math if when I'm done with it, they don't even know the basic, the basic realities of life, the most important things. And so I started talking to students about the point of life and teaching them basic doctrines repetitively, basic doctrines from scripture and, and memorizing verses. And you're saying, well, how is universality a part of, of this story? It's a part of it because we all fail. And we all recognize that we've made, or we have the opportunity to, to recognize that we've made mistakes and improve. So when you tell a story that, that other people can relate to, it will draw them in. Another one, empathy. Empathy is when you, when you can feel emotionally attached to something that happened in the story. I'm going to tell you a story from the 1920s to illustrate this. It was in Northern Ireland, 
during a civil war when the people, some of them, the Republicans were fighting to belong to England and the Free Staters were fighting to be separate. It was a dark night and only the moon shone occasionally through the fleecy clouds. A Republican soldier took his station on a rooftop. He had the face of a student but the cold gleam of his, in his eyes as someone who had seen death. Occasionally, the shots of a rifle or of a, or of a machine gun would go off in the distance like dogs barking on lone farms. He scarfed down a sandwich. He hadn't eaten all day from the stress of battle. And he contemplated, should he have a smoke? This is not a Mennonite story, by the way. Should he have a smoke? If the enemy had seen a flash, it could attract unwanted attention, right? So it was kind of risky. He decided to take the risk. He lit a cigarette, took a draft, and immediately he heard the shot of a rifle. The bullet whizzed past him, and then another shot. This time he dropped his, his rifle on the roof. It made such a loud noise, which frightened him all the more because... He was trying to be quiet. He didn't want people to see him, right? Then he realized, as he took shelter behind a chimney, why he dropped his rifle. Blood was oozing out of his arm. The bullet had penetrated, as he saw, but it didn't go off the other side. It had lodged in the bone. Now he's in trouble. Morning could not find him injured on the roof. So he comes up with a plan. He takes his rifle, he puts his hat on top, and with his good arm, he raises it above the roof line so it could be silhouetted against the sky. Immediately there was a report of a rifle and it pierced the center of his hat. He dropped it, he dropped down, he flopped his arm over the side to try to act as though he had been shot. The enemy sniper on the other side thought he had got his man. And so he relaxed a little bit. And soon his head and body could be seen above the line of the roof. The Republican soldier smiled to himself, took his revolver out of his pocket. He aimed it carefully over the side. And bang! It went off. When the smoke cleared, he saw the enemy soldier on the other side crumpling up he dropped his gun. It somersaulted off the roof onto the ground. And then the enemy soldier followed and fell on the ground with a thud. Now he was free to get off the roof safely, or so he thought, and report to his commanding officer. As he got off the roof, this thought, this obsession came into his mind. Who was that other person that was such a good shot. Who was he? Because remember, this was a civil war. Did he know him from some time in the past? He couldn't get the thought out of his head. So he decided to, on his way out, quickly go back and see who it was. As he went back, machine gun bullets tore up the ground. He escaped from it. He flipped over the body and he looked into the face of his brother. This story was written by a man from Ireland, O'Flaherty, 
in the 1920s. It's called the Sniper. And it carries a message that when you're killing, when you kill another person, you're killing a person, a real person. And I think for some people, when they realize that, when they, when they, when they feel this, they can realize that war and killing is not good. It's not something that is approved of God. They can maybe feel that when they hadn't felt that before. It's not just a fun video game. All right. So I want to go past empathy onto tension. You know, the pulling, right? Pulling and straining. This reminds me of Kilauea. It's a volcano. And on the side of the, the mountain lived priests. When the volcano would go off, the priests, one of them at least, would make his way down, down, down the side of the volcano into the villages below. And he would look for a sacrifice for the goddess of the volcano, Pella. He would find maybe a bride or a child and then he would bring them up the side of the volcano and cast them into the yawning mouth of the burning mountain. They were pretty wicked, the people, the priests, but even more wicked was the queen, Kapiolani. This is a true story, by the way, Kapiolani. She was a wicked woman. The missionaries found her one day, though. She was oiling herself on a rock. And they shared the gospel with her. And because of God's grace and mercy, she believed. She professed faith in Christ. And she wanted the people of her islands to also be saved. So she had the idols removed from the temples. But, you know, salvation is a lot more complicated than just taking away people's idols. Something more needed to change. One day, the volcano started to erupt again. And the priest was up on the side of the mountain and he was thinking about, oh, I'll go down there and I'll get another sacrifice for our glorious Pele. Right? He had worshipped <clears throat> this goddess of the volcano for years. He wasn't about to give it up. So he made his way down, down the mountain. And who did he meet? Of course, the queen. And she told him, there will be no more sacrifices. But there was this pull, this tension. You see, the priest had worshipped Pele all this time. The people as well. And the mountain was erupting and threatening them. So he was not about to be stopped even by the queen. The people went along with it as well. He found a sacrifice and he began to work his way up the mountain to throw the sacrifice into the volcano. But the queen went with him. And, and no doubt, you know, if you've been in superstition for years, when you, when you get away from that, you can still maybe feel things, right? You can still wonder, well, I hope, I hope this new way is right, right? So that was pulling on her. And there was the people and there were the priests and they wanted the old way. To this day, sometimes, I, I used to be Lutheran. And of course, we believe that uh, 
when, when the pastor is up there with the wine and the bread, that Jesus' body and blood becomes present with the communion. And, of course, they like to stress the verse that those who do not recognize the body of Christ, right? There's that passage. Those who do not recognize the body of Christ, I forget how, how it says, they'll be condemned or something like that. And so, even to this day, sometimes when I take communion, I'm like, okay, so I don't believe that way anymore. I believe this is just symbolism, but, but it's still, there's still something within me. So, she was facing something like this. And they were going up the side of the mountain. And you know what she did? She ate the fruits on the side of the mountain that were just supposed to be for the goddess. And she sang Christian songs on her way up. And as they got near the top and stopped, she quickly snatched the rod out of the priest's hand and threw it into the flames. And then she cried out, Pile, strike me dead. Pile, Pile, show your power. Strike me, Pile. And of course, nothing happened, right? She kept calling out and calling out. And then she became very bold. She became like Elijah. And she said, well, maybe she's sleeping. Maybe she's on a journey. Maybe she's busy with her burnings, right? The people are watching her, and I'll read you a quote of what she said. Here, my friends, there is no Pile. One true God there is, his this mountain, his these burnings, you and I and all things his, goodness, mercy, loving kindness, life eternal, all things his, which is something good for the Hawaiian people to remember to this day because some of them are returning to their pagan worship and something for us to remember as well. Notice how when I told the story, I purposely mentioned and accentuated the tension that was there. And I did that because tension, people, oh, what's going on that's not quite right? People, that really gets their interest. Power of a story. Stories help us to feel, believe, and be moved in ways that we haven't before. They can touch us in a mysterious way. For more free resources that support teaching and learning, visit the docforlearning.org.